All right, can you please turn to John 20? One of my favorite movies is um, Home Alone. And I watch it year round, yes I do. I very much love Home Alone. We watch it with our kids. I have actually gotten some of my nieces and nephews hooked on it. Um, it is a tradition in our family to watch Home Alone, specifically before Christmas time, but really any time it's available. And so uh, one, of the, one of my favorite parts is, of course, all the caricatures and things that are played in it. If you guys have seen Home Alone, I encourage you to see it. It will not spiritually edify you as much as uh, it'll entertain you. Roy, thank you so much, brother. Um, and so if you recall Home Alone, there are two characters that are thieves. They're trying to rob neighbors of people that are... Um, out of town or on vacation at the time over the Christmas holiday. And so uh, they, they stake out all the houses and they do it. And one of their calling cards is run, leaving the water running. And so they stop up the sink and the kitchen typically and the water just flows. So then when the family comes back, not only are they totally robbed and their house disheveled, it is ruined because of the running water. They call themselves the wet bandits. Okay, and so one of the funny things at the end of the movie, the wet bandits get arrested, of course because of the shenanigans of the survivalist child in the movie, and um, they're arrested. But at the end of the movie, he said, we're the wet bandits. And they knew their calling card because all the homes that they had robbed were flooded. And so, of course, then they left their mark on every house that they had done. It's funny to me. If you go on to the next movie, they end up calling themselves the Sticky Bandits. Okay? <laughs> anyway, yeah, he would put tape around his glove and steal things. Anyway, okay, the reason I'm sharing that, though, is they left a mark on everything they did, and it was obvious of their thievery based upon the places they had been. I'm going to speak with you today about something I feel is amazingly specific in Scripture, wonderful to me and hopefully enlightening and encouraging to you. It's that he folded it. He folded it, church family. Get your head around this. Jesus is risen. I'm going to bring you to John chapter 20. And at the onlook, as they come to prepare his body for burial because they couldn't finish it due to the Sabbath, Mary Magdalene and the other Marys, they find the, the tomb, the stone rolled away. They see nobody there. They go to alert some of the disciples, and they come back. And upon first glance, there are the linen cloths on the ground. And in a separate place, folded, was his face cloth. He folded it. So I'm going to make big light of something very little in Scripture because I think it is of immense importance to us as we understand the incredible victory of our Savior over death and the providential care that He does everything intentionally for our benefit and growth in knowing who He is and what His kingdom is about. So I'm calling this, He folded it, John chapter 20, Relief from a Troubled Heart, part 2. Last week we talked about how to get relief from a troubled heart out of Psalm 77. And I said, relief comes from remembering the character of God, meditating on his awesome deeds, and building confidence that his greatness none can measure, that we can have hope in his greatness. So today I want to talk to you about how Jesus folded it. <laughs> We're going to have a fun time. Let's pray together. Jesus, we need you. I confess to you, Lord, that I need you. Strengthen me, Lord, and use me today as your mouthpiece to communicate divine truth to be faithful to your word and to be faithful to your character, that this church will be presented more mature before you as we honor and strive to be more like you, Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray for our church family. Strengthen them, Lord, we ask. 
open their eyes, open their ears in a new way, open their hearts to glean new revelation of who you are, to be propelled forward in evangelism, in truth, in discipleship as they walk out the gospel wherever they go. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for life in you. Thank you for your word that guides us, for your Holy Spirit that empowers and refines us. We love you, Jesus, and we need you, Lord, in your name. Amen. God is good. All right. He folded it. John chapter 20. I got it on the board. If you don't have your Bible with you, let's read together. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Roy, I'm just going to need you, brother. I'm lousy with this thing. I'm sorry. You're awesome. I forget. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Verse 3. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. There's a little foot race going on. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter, following him, went into the tomb, very much like Simon's personality, kind of just bull, bull rushes through things, right? He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in. And he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Lord, your word speaks to us, it transforms us. Use it now to guide us, Lord, in your truth, that we may glean from you in your name. Amen. This is interesting scripture because perpetually through the disciples' lives, we see they're on a path of understanding who Jesus is as the Messiah. So it's not fully like they see a miracle, this is the guy. Remember, in the mindset of most Jews, the Messiah would come to, to, as a political upheaval, to upheave the Roman government, that the Jewish nation and tradition and people would again be reestablished. They're looking for force. They're looking for power. They're looking for someone to, to overthrow the government and put the Jewish people back up on top. Jesus came the complete opposite of all those things. So as he's teaching, he's teaching about grace. He's teaching about mercy. He's teaching about turning the cheek. He's not teaching about bringing the sword to bring down the top man. And so the men, the disciples, as they're following, they're continually learning more and gleaning more. They're asking questions. They're learning more of who he is. And so in, this, in verse 9 it says, as yet they did not understand the scripture. This is interesting because there's evidence. That's what I want to show you today. Just like the wet bandits, they gave evidence of everywhere they went. John, in his brilliance, gives us specific evidence here that helps the disciples to understand what the Old Testament was talking about, what Jesus was talking about in raising from the dead. And it says, as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise. So the disciples didn't come with a presupposition that was met, and then they believed it, and it met their presupposition to, to formulate their argument. They came not fully understanding Right? Mary Magdalene was coming to the tomb initially before sunrise to finish preparing the body. They weren't expecting to see the risen Lord. And so when the disciples came after Mary came and got them, and isn't it amazing how Jesus in his intentionality first allows the women to witness his resurrection. If you go back to Leviticus, 
the testimony of a woman doesn't hold up in court. So in his kindness, in his intentionality, in the beauty of how he does things, he first reveals his resurrection, that he's, that he's not there anymore, that he's not dead, to the women that walked alongside him. And they went and got the men, and the men came, and then the men saw upon looking, now their word is admissible in court because there's a man's testimony to what's taking place. This is according to Levitical law. So it's pretty powerful that this is another fact, if you will, if you will receive this. The reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ means something because he didn't just reveal himself to men initially, that men could make up a story that fit their presupposition. He initially did it to women, to a woman whose testimony wouldn't hold up. You understand what's happening there? And then the men can second that. Why would you do it if it was fake? Why would you reveal yourself to a woman if it was fake, you see? And so then as the men come, they can uphold the testimony. And it wasn't that they were expecting it. They were confronted with something, facts that made them believe what had taken place. Pretty powerful what's happening here. So uh, they understood, as yet they did not understand Scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Crazy piece of Scripture. This face cloth can be kind of translated in different ways. A lot of people can take it as a napkin in different translations. It says napkin or a handkerchief or a girdle or binding of the head or a sweat cloth. And so there was a legend that kind of goes around that uh, Jesus rose from the dead and just like a master gets up from the table and he puts his wrinkled cloth down, it means that he's done eating a meal. Jesus rises, or then the master gets up and then folds the cloth neatly and places it on the plate. It, knows, it, it signals to the servant that he is not yet done, that it is not yet finished, that he will return for the meal, right? And so people have taken a lot of liberty. I think it's very, very cool, and I like to say it because it is beautiful in that, yes, our Messiah is not yet finished. He will return, right? But I don't think that's what the Scripture is saying here. It's not getting as glamorous or romantic because those things don't fit with the Jewish tradition and Jewish customs. They don't fit with what Scripture said. And Jesus has already blatantly told us that he will return. So he doesn't have to do it secretly with a folded napkin. So they take this idea of a literal napkin and fold it there on top of the, where his head was resting. They're saying, I'm not yet finished. I will return. Church family, I'm going to go for it because it's beautiful. But that's not the depth of the Scripture. It's not what it's fully communicating here. Jesus is simply saying, I am in full control of my life. I will lay it down. I will take it up again. The intentionality behind what Jesus has done, he brought himself to life in his divinity. Death cannot hold him. Sin cannot contain him. Nothing can bring him down. And so the linen cloths are there because if you were to rob a grave, you surely would not remove the cloths from a dead body. We see that when Lazarus was risen from the dead, he calls Lazarus forth. He came out in his cloths, and they had to unbind him. If someone were to rob a grave, they would have just taken it and left, trying to recover gold, trying to recover things that may have been on the body, you see? And so not only is it uh, not a robbery, there's no evidence of that, but there is a calm, there is a collective, there is an orderliness about how this took place. And so Jesus, I believe, is revealing to us, I'm in full control of what I'm doing. I am the Messiah. I am the risen Lord. And I have the power to lay my life down and the power to take it up again. So we have linen cloths there on the ground, and then we have a folded. And then that word folded can be confusing as well. 
Yes, it can look like a folded towel. It can also mean rolled up, or it could also mean entwined. So either way, it's separate and it's placed. The intentionality behind what Jesus is doing is communicating to us who he is and what he's about, that he is the one that is risen. He's not been stolen. He's not in a coma. He's not swooned. He's alive and he's victorious. Amen? Amen. Praise Jesus. This is relief from a troubled heart. I confess to you these weeks have been hard. And so I speak this for myself and I speak it for us as a family. All right, he folded it. He's risen. He's risen indeed. Number one, run. Run. <clears throat> Upon seeing the, that the body was not there, the ladies went and they retrieved the disciples, Peter and John, and they came and they were on a dead sprint to see who arrived first. I'm going to take some liberty here and say that I believe Jesus is deserving of our very best. Run to him. Find him. Don't just sit in the pain. Sit in the discomfort. Sit in the, the shame and the embarrassment of sin or of troubled lives or things that happen. Run to Jesus and you'll find that he's alive. You'll find that he's victorious. You'll find that he provides hope for your troubled heart. And you'll find that he provides life for you in times of need. Jesus is deserving of our very best. He is risen and he is seated on the throne. Go to him first. Go to him always. Go to him in haste. Um, I've got little kids, we all know that, <clears throat> and they love to swim. And so my parents have a subdivision pool, and so we'll go to the pool with them. And it's this way every time. And recall with me when you were a child to where we are now. Uh, we get out of the, the van, and it's just like everything unloads. And then they're on a dead sprint to the pool. Slow down, slow down. So they finally get to the pool, and then clothes come off, and there's a pile of things there. They're in their swimsuit. They're ready to go, and then they're running to the pool. Um, and so, the, and you know, as, as an adult and as we are now, maybe I can have some amens from the church family. It is not the most relaxing time as an adult to go swimming. It's constantly watching. At, over the summer, I, there was one time I went swimming with my wife alone. We went to the pool, and it was glorious. I laid there for an hour and a half and didn't do anything but eat and lay there. Oh. But with kids, it's running, it's watching, it's constantly saying, stop running, stop drinking the water, stop running, stop running. The whistles from the lifeguard, everything's happening because they're so excited to be at the pool. You know what, as an adult, especially a parent, when I go to the pool, it's, it's slight dread. I'll confess that to you because I'm carrying 15 bags and you're walking, you're walking, everyone's watching you, or a wagon, and it, you're just going swimming for an hour. And there's bags on bags and wagons and all the rest, and it's a slow and dreary walk to the pool like it's going to be an hour of torture. The sun hurts, the water hurts. I'm not, sure what the, I'm not sure what the concoction of chemical to water to other things are in the kiddie pool. And so it's just an interesting time to be an adult and to sit in that and enjoy it. Right? But we do it for our kids. Amen, David? All right, we do it. So uh, I'm just making the comparison because I got off of my story. <clears throat> Run to Jesus because he's deserving of it. Just like the mindset of a young child. 
they run to the pool because of the excitement and the joy and the realization of them being able to be in and enjoy something they love. Why does that fade as we get older? So I look at myself now and I confess, man, I was the first one in. I used to be the one in without water wings. And I had to be saved multiple times when I was a kid. But now I'm the last one to the pool. I'm the last one to get the sunscreen sprayed up. I'm the last one to sit there. And then I'm checking the watch saying, maybe it's time to go. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's nap time. I don't know. You guys got worn out pretty good. Uh, when I was a kid, it was hours and days and days. Why do we have to go? This is the best thing ever. Maybe I can turn that a little bit, church family. From a humble heart, I say to you, when we first met the Lord, we were unstoppable. We were with him always. Where should I read? What should I read? How should I think about him? This is an amazing revelation I've had. I've never thought about a father who cares for me this way. I've never seen someone that is so self-sacrificing. I don't understand a teaching that is so much about other people that I can glean from these things and be transformed. And now it's like, I already know all that stuff. Oh, I've been there and done that. Church starts at 1030. I'm going online today. I'll check, on, I'll check up on this at 4 o'clock when it's ready. And I say that because I, I feel that. I'm not convicting you. I'm, I'm speaking from myself today. Why now do we get apathetic towards seeing our risen king glorified in every situation in life when it used to be the opposite? So I just want to challenge you today. Find in your heart the joy again, the life again. Instead of so focusing on the brokenness and on the pains of life that we go through, why not turn your gaze to the resurrected Jesus because he folded it, because he's risen, because he's alive, because he's presented himself whole before, before the congregation and is now seated on the throne again, ruling and reigning with righteousness and justice. Find in your heart somewhere where the fire is and let's blow on it again by the power of the Holy Spirit. I guarantee you by getting in your word, I guarantee you by talking to one another, I guarantee you by getting out of your comfort zone and talking about Jesus Christ, those flames will be fanned into something far greater. Let's be faithful to what he's called us to because in faithfulness, I believe that there's life. Right? Run and run with others in community. Remember, these, these guys didn't run alone. It was a foot race to get there. Man, I want to beat Jeff Crooks to Jesus. I want to sprint alongside Mike Caden and Tony Blecker and Rex Chin and Judy Radin, and I want to see what can we glean from the king together as we pursue him in unity. You understand, church family, it's not meant to be alone. These men are discovering truths about a resurrected king alongside one another with women in the community, with uh, underprivileged. Then they go home, and I always thought, what is that about? You know who's at John's home? Jesus' mother. He goes home and he tells mom, Jesus is alive. So there's also truth to where we bring the word of God and what we do with it that transforms hope, that brings life, that brings joy. All right, here we go. I got 10 minutes. Number one, run. Go alongside one another. Number two, see. Very easy. I'm taking this straight from scripture. So they looked in and they saw the linen cloths and they believed. So see. Jesus was not taken, but rose in power, showing his divinity. He, had, he is the Messiah. Death cannot hold him. The grave cannot contain him. Sin is not in his nature. Right. Jesus took the time to fold the cloth because he, he is a man of order. 
He's a man of purpose. He's a man with intentionality. He was always communicating something. He was in full control, and he showed that this was no accident, and it was not fraudulent. He rose from the dead as he communicated to complete what he said he would complete with the Father. And then as we believe to apply it to our lives, that we may know hope in him, and that our hope may abound because it was folded. You understand? Jesus was not taken, but he rose in power. Um, I, I find this passage interesting as well because the ladies went at dawn, or right before dawn. It was dark, it says in the text. They go get the men, the men come, and then as light enters the tomb, they were able to see. I'm going I'm to say this. You're only able to see. You're only able to run when you understand the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you know the man Jesus Christ. They only saw he was risen when light entered the tomb. When Jesus' light, because he's the light of the world, breaks through the dark, dead areas of your life, you will see the greatness, the glory, and the joy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So where are those grimy areas that we can open up and roll that stone away and let the hope of God shine in? Because that's life and life more abundantly right there. That's hope. That's relief from a troubled heart. And I'm preaching to myself, church family. Jesus removed his clothes. Jesus removes our death clothes. When I think of my children as uh, babies, the only way for them to be cleansed and changed was for the father or the mother to reach down, grab them, and change their nastiness. In the same way, the Lord has reached down into our lives, has taken us from our nastiness, our sin and defilement, and has placed upon us his righteous royal robes so that we are counted as one with him, so that we have hope in him, so that we have life in him. Mike wonderfully said it yesterday at Sugar's Memorial, so that we are a child of God. Isn't that beautiful, church family? Relief from a troubled heart means that you're with Jesus. You have hope in what he's done. And we can see factually that he rose because he intentionally folded it. See where I'm going with that? I like it. The word for see in this context is not just with your eyes. It's it's seeing with the eyes of your mind. It's grasping the truth that lies beneath the phenomena. Okay? Uh, So he saw and he believed before he found the fact, before found in the fact that stepping, stepping the, found the fact that the stepping stone to a higher faith. Excuse me for my troubled words. It's not just seeing and perceiving something. It's beholding a new revelation in your mind so that your your faith is bolstered and confidence is risen in who Jesus is because of what he's done and the reality of the folded clothes, the reality that he's risen. Make sense there? So it's a beautiful understanding for us is not just see, perceive something and believe. It's transformed the way that you think, the way that you understand, the way that you behold something that it would be uh, shifted towards who God is risen above all things rather than just the situational outcome of what you're in. One, run. Two, see. Believe with your, with your mind and your heart and have hope. And the last one is this. Peace be with you. It's peace. Right after this takes place is the beautiful, wonderful text where uh, the men go away and Mary is still there. and She's searching for things and Jesus comes and she believes he's the gardener. 
And then when he says her name, her eyes are opened. And it's a wonderful experience of the, of the beautiful, authentic relationship that Jesus has with his followers. He says, Mary. And he understands at that moment her eyes are opened. And he sees the risen Lord there in front of her and she beholds him. And then she's commissioned to go do something on behalf of Jesus. But after this, in verse 19, it says, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. This would be the Johannian Great Commission. The Great Commission that we often see in Matthew 28. Go and make disciples. Baptize them. This is John's version. Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And he laid this in, and he, and when he said this, goodness, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. In John 16, these are the same words in essence that Jesus says to his disciples before going to the cross. So the same words he says before going to the cross, peace. He says again in the greeting when he sees them after his resurrection, peace. There is no, in, there is no way to separate the character of who Jesus is outside of peace. I know it's a formal greeting, peace be with you, just like saying hello, whatever else. But when Jesus says it, it's in his very character and nature. He is the Prince of Peace. He's instilling in the men who are living in fear at the time a peace beyond reconciliation, beyond understanding, comprehension. So he's saying, peace be with you. The last words spoken by Jesus before his death to his disciples are the first words spoken by Jesus after his resurrection, peace. Peace is the fruit of one that is content in the sovereign and providential hand of the Lord. Peace is not striving for something you don't have. It is accepting and living in what you do have and what you know. We do have peace, church family, because it is a fruit of the Spirit. You have it. So what does it look like for us to understand it and to apply it and to live in it? Because Jesus is our peace. Hope produces peace. Let's live in hope and let's emit peace. Okay? I'm, I'm saying relief from a troubled heart comes from knowing Jesus from running to him, from seeing him risen and in control of all things, and from understanding his very character and nature, that it is peace. And what he speaks to us, what he communicates to us, the very importance of his message is also have peace because I'm here, because I'm present, because I am peace. <clears throat> I would like to do something a little bit different. Um, I don't know about you guys, but it's been, a, it's been a rough couple weeks for me personally and just outside of a lot of the other things that have happened in the church family. Uh, and so I would like to end today with prayer. And I'd love to just take a moment to pray together to remind ourselves that we are with the Lord, that we run to Him, that we can see His glory and believe and that we can rest in His hope, we can rest in His peace because He's folded it. Because that he is risen, and he is risen indeed, in factual evidence shows. He intentionally placed cloth there so we would see, nobody took me. I wasn't swooned. This isn't fake. I'm alive. I'm victorious. And as you believe in me, you know that same life. You know that same victory. There still will be difficult times. 
In this proper moment, the disciples were still in fear of the Jews. Jesus is risen and they still have fear. That's part of life, right? It doesn't mean that your anxiety and fear just all of a sudden dissipates. But it does mean that in Jesus Christ, it's ruled. It's victorious. It's tempered. It's driven to him as you see him, as you run to him, and as you behold him in peace. So what's the time in prayer? I'm going to do something. Uh, it's going to take a while because it's worth it. I want to pray for our body. So I'm going to pray by name of some people be, that we haven't seen in a while because I know they're watching with us as well. And because of COVID-19 and all the rest, we pray for them. We remember you online and say thank you for joining us. We miss you. We desire you. And we will be together soon. But we pray together to know life, to know hope, to know joy, to know that we are one in Jesus Christ. And then we'll end with communion to remind ourselves of these things. So let's pray together. Jesus, we need you in all things. You are confidence. You are our hope. You are our peace, Almighty Father. I thank you, Lord, for just small things like folding your face cloth, that we know that you are the one that's in full control, that you're alive and well, that you're living and now ruling, as we know in, in Scripture and have seen since this passage, that you are ruling and reigning and you're seated on the throne. And Lord, we thank you that you will return again in full and complete victory that we can understand and know uh, joy and joy unspeakable and further, you know, in these times than glorification and what that looks like. You're so wonderful to us, God. We take a moment now to pray for our church family, those not with us, and to say, encourage them, Lord. Strengthen them, Father. Keep them healthy. Keep them strong. Encourage their families. Lord, may they be driven to your word and may, may they understand new revelation by the power of your Holy Spirit. And may they know that they're with us and joined with us, even though not present here, but Lord, because of what you've done in covenant. Thank you for your kindness, for your goodness. And I, we pray for these specific families now, Lord, for the Enlos, for Jean and Vivian, for Eric, for Eric's children. Lord, we pray for protection and peace over them. For the Goodlet family, Father. Continue, Lord Jesus, we remember our brother before you. We uphold him before you, Jesus, and say, strengthen him, Father. Strengthen Wayne, Lord. Thank you, Father, for your goodness and for your hope, and that we can run to you, Jesus. For the Olsons, Lord, we pray for peace and understanding and grace. Lord, may they know you and receive you and see you in beautiful and amazing ways as a wonderful and beautiful family. We thank you for Vincent and Anna Shaw. We thank you for the Pierce family, for the Goodwin family. For the Isaac family, Lord, we thank you for Joanne Hayden, who can't be with us, but who is faithfully watching online every week. Bless her and refresh her, Lord. Renew her body, her mind, that she would soar on wings like eagles, Lord Jesus. Strengthen her, Father, to see, see further revelation of who you are and how you care and provide for us. We pray for Joanne Whitehead, Lord, who has been faithful for years to you and to your word. Encourage her, Lord, and strengthen her. For Sylvia Shedd, for Swayze and Nance, and thank you for Mr. Jerry can be here with us today. Lord, you're so good to us. We thank you for that beautiful family, Lord, and for how they've, how they've encouraged and, and helped us to grow and imparted wisdom to us, Lord Jesus. We thank you for Nancy Schaff and for Andrew and Brittany, Lord God. Encourage them, Lord Jesus, we pray. May they, knew may they know truth from your scripture applied. We thank you for Sheila Allen, Lord Jesus. Bless her and encourage her and her children today. We thank you for the Dians, for John and Allie Wells for Astrid and Natalie. We thank you, Lord, for Sarah Winchell. Encourage our sister today, Jesus. 
with the power of your presence, Almighty God, reminder of hope. May she run to you. May she see you, Jesus, and may she know a peace that is beyond comprehension. We pray for Stephen and Lisa. We pray for our brother Chris Burke. We continually remember before you, Lord, Ron and Gwen Holberg, specifically Gwen's brother Dean and, and their grandson Henry, Lord, for protection in Henry's surgeries and, Lord Jesus, for a miracle in his femur. We pray for Phil Smith, Lord Jesus. Thank you for the testimony he is to us. Thank you for that family. Encourage and bless them today for the James family, for the Madeiras family, for Shannon Robin Williams, for Maureen Hayworth, Lord Jesus. Bless and encourage these families, Lord Jesus, we pray. For the menders, Lord, drive them to your cross and may they know hope and glory in you in new and amazing ways. Father God, we are one body before you, needing each other to behold your majesty and glory. And so we remember each other, Lord, ones that I've forgotten in my, in my frailty and the others that, that are going on, Lord. We just pray, Father God, for strength, for grace, for hope abounding and joy unspeakable in new and amazing ways. Thank you for your goodness over our church family. Thank you for the hope of your gospel. Thank you for faithful teaching from years and years, Lord Jesus. Thank you for deposits of revelation that you've put in us, Lord, that in times of trouble when we run to you, we know truth that holds us because of who you are. We love you, Lord, and we remember our brothers and sisters overseas as well, in India, in Pakistan, in Guatemala, in Zambia, in Zimbabwe, in Botswana, Father God, all over the world, you have given us relationships that we don't deserve. And I pray, Father, for strength, for protection. Father, for uh, finances, for resources, for health. That most importantly, your church would be advanced and your kingdom proclaimed and you glorified. Lord Jesus, we love you and we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.